0: Timothy it's a little weird doing this because I haven't done psychology as done so long. I kind of forgot how to intro a podcast, but uh, yes. yeah. But but this week, I thought it would be fitting if we called ourselves the very special episodic podcast. You know, a little play a little play on '80s and '90s sitcoms when everything got really serious and delved into things like child molestation for the for the entire episode. Yeah. So, it's, Timothy, Abusing what is your diet fav- <laughs> using diet pills? Using um, diet pills, being really excited and then not being excited—a lot of things going on. <laughs> so, Timothy, <laughs> I, meant, I meant to ask you, what is your favorite, very serious and very special episode of a sitcom?
1: Oh, I mean, it probably is that one—the—the—the—the the, the, Save by the Bell, where the the one chick. Uh, is using diet pills and going crazy, basically, and, and losing her mind. <laughs> That's the one that always sticks in my head. You know what I mean? Is the, as the real, real good one. There's another thing. I don't remember if it was a very special episode of a sitcom or if it was on. I always, for some reason, remember it as being on um, a Daredevil movie, but which is weird. Like one of the early like superhero movies from like the late '80s, early '90s, before like superhero movies were good or whatever. Where like this kid had AIDS and uh, wanted to be blood brothers with one of his friends, but uh, then they told him not to do it because you could give him AIDS. So I always remember that. That felt like one, that I don't, felt rem- like I the don't same remember way. this at all. Yeah, no, like I said, this is a very special particular memory of that I have from when I was a child of this show um, and I know that Magic Johnson shows up and he talks about it at some point too he's so in yeah, the movie was, too yeah I don't know if it was a, like I said I don't know if it was a movie or a TV show it might have been like a sitcom thing that like that it was this very special episode of a sitcom or something but yeah it's like and then eventually they're like we're going to be blood brothers the right way. And they, they prick their fingers. They mix the blood separately. And then they're just like, you know, put band-aids on and then shake hands, <laughs> you know, so that he, so that the kid doesn't give his friend AIDS. Um, yeah. That's, that's another favorite. What about you, Quentin? What's your favorite, uh, very special episode?
0: I think the first one I alluded to, like the, the different, the different strokes one where the dude from the bicycle shop is just giving, oh. <laughs> just just giving the kids wine. And then, <laughs> and then the adopted parents find out and they're like um what the fuck
1: yeah which uh different strokes i'm trying to remember that the kid's name or i guess he wasn't a kid but the, that was the one that had the kid that had like whatever weird uh growth issue right but it wasn't um gary coleman it was uh I thought it was, Lewis?
0: I thought it was gary coleman
1: oh it was okay different strokes was the one that did have gary coleman yeah
0: okay. that, yeah different strokes was gary coleman
1: Okay, so Gary Coleman probably knew uh, Michael Michael Jackson, so he already knew about the Jesus Juice. He was like, "This is this is real life stuff we're talking about here." Jesus, man. <laughs> yeah. that's All right. Very terrible.
0: <laughs> um, but the reason why I'm, I guess I'm starting this this week off is so we have more developments on the ACH stuff, and I don't want to stay on it super long. Well, there's a thing I've seen today. that is a thing that's really struck a chord with me, kind of annoyed me, kind of made me feel bad. I feel like about how people have treated this ACH situation. And ACH had offered clarity on the Jay Lethal remark he made during his initial, uh, initial tweets during the WWE blackface shirt storm that was going on. And in that, he said, fuck Ring of Honor and fuck Jay Lethal. And called Jay Lethal Uncle Tom, and he was called out for it. He initially he deleted the tweet involving Jay Lethal. I imagine people within the industry had reached out to him and told him to take it down. Told him, told him that it wasn't a good look and all these things. So it got like so in ACH's whole thing of, "Hey, this racist ass shirt that WWE put out." People kept focusing on the Jay Lethal remark, which is a good, which was a good way to try to diminish his point that he was making so he comes back to it this well today this week and all that and he explains it and it goes along the lines of ACH and Jay Lethal were in a hotel room and ACH said something that was involved pretty much involved the phrase my nigga and Jay Lethal for some reason thought it was okay to slap him or put his or put his hands on Jay Le- or put his hands on ACH a- for using a word that Jay Lethal, according to ACH, uses himself, and it turns into a little scuffle. ACH gets him back, takes him down, and it leads to Jim- Jimmy Jacobs, who I imagine was employed by ROH at the time, telling a- telling ACH that he should apologize. And ACH apologizes to Jay Lethal, but Jay Lethal never apologizes to him and never gives never gives him an apology, can, just goes into other stuff that isn't pertaining to their situation or anything like that. So from that point on, ACH and Jay Lethal were just were never on the best of terms. And what struck me about this whole thing, ACH explaining the situation, he says he's not crazy. He knows what he's doing. He's not He's not battling anything. He's in a great mood. And seeing how many white wrestling fans just swarm this guy's mentions with, How are you going to be against racism and blackface in this company, but you're using the N-word? And it's a big like bring down to reality for the kind of fan base that wrestling still does attract a lot of white people who don't understand racial relations or things along racial lines and understand how someone can use a word because they are the person of color. And well, I was, I was leaning on the fence at first when it came to the J. lethal stuff. I mean, I mean the ACH stuff rather of is he okay? Like I agree with them. I'm, I'm with them, but I want to make sure that this dude is okay. And Seeing it now and then seeing the kind of shit that he's dealing with that really no one else in their release has dealt in their release or asking for their release has dealt with, you know, Leo Rush didn't deal with this. Sasha Banks didn't deal with this. The Revival didn't deal with this. Mike Bennett didn't deal with this. Luke Harper didn't deal with this. No one has dealt with the kind of constant bashing that ACH is dealing with right now from people from white people telling him what words he can and can't use And even in the context of the way ACH was using it. He wasn't using it in a derogatory way, a slur, anything like that. And Jay Lethal knows that perfectly well. I think it feels like to me Jay Lethal was trying to make a point to the people that were in that room, assert some sort of dominance over ACH, this locker room leader thing, and ACH wasn't having it. And yeah, I imagine it's one of the things that turned into ACH having an attitude problem. ACH defending himself turned into an attitude problem. And he goes on to say that Ring of Honor was the worst place that he's ever worked in and confirms a lot of the things that we've said that Ring of Honor has been a shithole, been a terrible work environment for years and years and years at this point. And it it just really hurts to see what ACH is going through. MLW announced that ACH will be working some shows for them going forward. And again, they're white, stupid-ass wrestling fans that in a reply to that tweet going, Whoa, you 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 can Teddy Hart, but you're bringing it, but you're bringing this fucking guy, and who cares, and all this stuff, and equating Teddy Hart like probable <clears throat> rapist and has probably involved in a sex trafficking ring and all this other shit, and you're comparing that to Ach having an issue with a shirt. And I think today was like a much needed dose of reality, at least for me. And I kind of knew this. I know that this wrestling landscape isn't perfect. This wrestling landscape isn't the most friendly for black for black people or black wrestling fans. And even the black wrestling fans we have in here oftentimes are WWE apologists. And so I, I understand that, and I deal with this every single day. But I think seeing how badly ACH got it for just explaining his side of the situation and just dealing with the nonsense that he dealt with, you know, I just feel bad for ACH, and I'm fully on Team ACH by this point. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I I just had a real messed up time looking at all of that.
1: No, I mean, I don't have anything to add. Everything you said, I mean, yeah, obviously this shit is ridiculous. Um, And, I mean, yeah, I I feel like I was pretty firmly on ACH's side the whole way through. Um, I never really, you know, bought into the mental health stuff too much, and even if I, you know, did, it's like I understand the situation he was in. is gonna cause stress and mental health issues so yeah um i mean what the fuck
0: people <laughs> like why is Jay lethal putting his hands on him for use it for saying that that's right. what, like that's the thing that i don't understand here a, I mean, as a grown man as a black grown man no one has ever sat there and caught themselves trying to put their hands on me for saying that word, he might like right. any that someone has said that, that that they don't like using that word. It's like, hey man, I'm not really a fan of that. Blah blah blah. And whatever reason they have, whether I agree with it or not, they they state their reason. And if I and like, you know, I respect people as much as they respect me. So if that person feels like, hey man, I'm not comfortable with that, I'll respect them and I'll stop. I'll ease up on using the word. That's part of how, that's part of my list of content That's part of how I talk. So I understand where ACH is coming from there. But at no point in my life, or a lot of people's lives, have anyone been, like, att- verbally, like, physically assaulted us or attacked us, thinking that that was okay because we use a certain word. We're not children. We're not kids. This isn't a kid getting popped in the mouth or using a curse word. A, these are two grown men and someone thinking it's all right to do that, which is fucking insane.
1: Yeah. No, I mean that's taking it too far and even ACH said that and I just saw a tweet where he even said that like if you just talk to me about it I'll I won't do it you know he's not going to say that word around you or or even in context of calling him that maybe whatever the situation was um like if you just talk to him but to to yeah why did you attack him and and ACH was right i mean he he was doing it to kind of pull his card and and be like I'm the you know I'm the the lead guy here and I get to police the locker room however I see fit. Um really fucking weird way to go about it for sure and really no place for it honestly in wrestling nowadays and you know like CM Punk famously was a, the locker room police officer in ROH that did annoying things and and you know there's the Kevin Kevin Steen story or whatever um so you know, there's, there's history of stuff like this, but to really to a lot, strike someone...
0: a lot. I'm a lot of guys have been like annoying, maybe like bordering on toxic, like locker locker room leader guys. That's something that's gone on for years and years and years in wrestling. But while there are like some incidents that we know of, someone it's like someone just using a word, and then this per- person in this position of power thinking it's okay to put their hands on them, that's that's not as common. As just someone getting a tongue lashing, or someone just maybe going a little too far on them policing the locker room, putting your hands on someone—that's—and and then and then and then ACH being the one that has to apologize when Jay Lethal is the one that initiated the point of contact.
1: <laughs> right, right, and I mean, you like you said that you know there's history of stuff like that happening, sure, but also like a, a fight. You know, there's a difference between a cheap shot slap like that from a guy who's considered, you know, more senior and more important and like just actually getting into a a fair fight with someone because that's open for retaliation for the other person. But in this setting, it's like ACH, if he aggressed any further after getting slapped, you know, he would be considered the one who's got to go. He'd be in trouble for you know, starting a fight or whatever. But really, he was instigated by Jay Lethal, you know, so all things fucked. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you got much more you want to get into here.
0: Uh, no, just this. just a just a reminder that look, white people still don't understand racism, and it seems like especially in wrestling, white people don't actually know what racism is. A whole lot of implications that ACH used a racist term, which you know, coming from several white people, uh, you know, it just it's really unsettling. It's really unsettling, and I've said my pieces before. I think that other white talents who have voiced their frustrations, while they've gotten criticized and all that, they haven't gotten this nearly the same level of vitriol that Leo Rush and Sasha Banks and ACH have. And even from the stuff that Leo Rush and Sasha Banks dealt with, you're even getting in the even crazier territory with ACH. And I think the the main thing here is still, you know, regardless of the medium. White people don't like to feel uncomfortable, so when someone makes them uncomfortable in a way where you know you got to be reminded that race is still front and center, and you can't just acknowledge that race doesn't exist, white people get very uncomfortable, and I think that's what a lot of wrestling fans have been dealing with and taking their frustration, as a, to taking their frustrations out of ECW, that they have to be reminded that oh yeah, like race is still a problem like everywhere.
1: <laughs> right? No. I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, you mentioned Teddy Hart there. <laughs> we can get into this. Did you see released from MLW? Uh, you know, obviously, there's a, a disappearance or a missing uh, partner or ex partner of his uh, again here. And another story coming out Kellyanne, um, who we've reviewed actually her matches before, not on this podcast, but on one of our podcasts. Yeah, we, yeah we,
0: we both love Kellyanne.
1: Yeah, she comes out with a story saying that uh, Teddy Hart attempted to kidnap her at one point while she was training at the Hart Dojo. So, wow. Um, feels like a major yikes moment. Uh, obviously, Teddy Hart has been insane for a long time. Um, the stuff that's coming out recently is getting worse and worse. I don't know how much like, of this yeah, like open convicted
0: stuff. Convicted rapist? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, then- yeah. It turns into possible sex trafficking ring, and yeah, I, I and, I'm, and I and I've only mentioned Teddy Hart just because like I hate bringing I hate bringing light like, to him I hate bringing up his name like I hate the fact that he's even really allowed to be in wrestling in the capacity that he, which he's been allowed like like I, and I hate to do this but me and you know like stories behind like other behind like other wrestlers and them getting in trouble. And this not nearly being, and that not nearly being the same level of like of like the shit Teddy Hart's done. I know. So I know. To, 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 so to see him be put to to just be able to come back and no one bat an I and be a major be a major player in a in a prominent wrestling company just never sat right with me. And well, like obviously I don't want to like tie all these things together because one I think is a lot more. Isn't a, a lot more serious implication than the other, you know. Teddy, Teddy Hart possibly kid, trying to kidnap Kellyanne and possibly having something to do with the in the in the disappearance of a woman that he was seeing, and it's all seedy, disgusting stuff. But I bring it up to say, like, white wrestling fans will do anything to defend another white person. ACH just makes a comment about a fucking shirt. I know a shirt. Just saying, hey, I don't like the I don't like the tones of this. This shirt got changed from how it was originally presented to me, and G- and just all hell breaks loose. It's it's really just sad, man. It makes me sad to sit here and be a part of this. And I know that this is a I know this is a minority of the people that watch wrestling. I know that the people that listen to this, they probably already agree. They probably already understand like the point of where I'm coming from, where I, where you're coming from, and all of this. But Just like being the is being reminded of how shit like that still exists, and Teddy Hart should (laughs) should be police investigation on him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he should probably be in jail. I mean, realistically, not even to talk about should he be in the wrestling business.
0: This he should probably be in prison.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, with all with everything connected, but again, it's you know, failing up, born with a horseshoe up your ass, you know, famous family all these connections that he's had and he's just like gotten away with this forever. I mean, I was, I was remembering, I'm trying to remember where, but it's like, like the, the story of, of, uh, something I think it was an interview. I can't remember if it was, the interview was with him or if it was someone talking about talking to him, like people, him claiming to be like part of like a CIA or Canadian CIA or something along those lines. And like, that that's really what's going on, and it's actually like a sting operation that he's involved with. And people, like people in the wrestling business, are so fucking you know brain wormed out that like they, I think people like kind of believe it. And then there was like the best friends show interview that's like you know real fun, and everyone like to laugh at it. But it's like this is a man who's not just mentally ill, but also like you know committing da- heinous crimes. He's you dangerous. Know? So, like
0: yeah, and I'm I don't and I don't like you and I don't like using adjectives like that i'm not so i'm someone that i don't believe like i don't like i I believe only like three kinds of people in the world should be put in prison like rapists pedophiles and like clear-cut murderers should be put should be put in should be put in prison but yeah like this dude is clearly fucking insane and the fact that he's able to just walk around like this and not even just you know have a like have a living but yeah you're also pretty much like the focal point of the tag team division in MLW, and yeah. I don't know if you, did you did you catch any of the videos he made with Maria Manic over the last week?
1: No. Oh wait, actually, I did see a little bit of it. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Then, like, obviously, it's not for speculation, but like the fact that Maria Manic has to be like get it off the table, get it off the table. I don't know if you yeah. saw that one, but yeah, like geez, like Jesus fucking Christ, dude. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I mean, she obviously has. Uh, great taste in men as as, it shows from her social media Um, dude i don't
0: understand why people talk positively about maria manic because she's clearly just as bad as they
1: are oh yeah i know she's talented as hell you know and we don't have any proof of her you know committing any crimes but you don't fucking hang out with these people and and not be at least somewhat culpable in it you know yeah i mean she's probably very shitty unfortunately and uh and it's a, it's really is a bummer to see this guy out here. And I, I said it back when me and Pete were reviewing the MLW stuff, like, like that they would do these, like, oh, Teddy Hart and, and hanging out with Brian Pillman Jr. and, uh, and Davey Boy Smith, the new Hart Foundation thing. And they would like always show him like hanging out by the pool with, with glasses of wine, drinking and partying. And I'm like, that. I mean, fucking Brian Pillman's dad died from drugs, basically drugs and alcohol. And you're, like, showing – and, like, the history that Teddy's family has with all that stuff. And it's, like, you're glorifying it with this character that, like, he's still, like – they're party, party playboys who come across, like, they're all zanned out and drinking. And it's just, like, what the fuck is this? MLW – like, that's pretty shitty of MLW to not only feature Teddy Hart, but the way that they featured him. It was really sleazy, honestly. And it's, like – it's tacky as hell. And the thing about MLW is, like, you know, what – There's just some stuff coming up in the news uh, with them. Who who do they just like they signed Tom Lawler again. And there's someone else that they're bringing in that was like, you know, people are talking about big deal kind of thing. And like, you know, it's they're just like the most fucking carny company. They're like seem to be willing to do anything. And it's so funny because Kurt Bauer puts on this like, you know, polished veneer of being like, you know, You know, professionalism and on his podcast, and the way he talks about branding and all this stuff. But fuck, like the shit that he's willing to put on his show is like disgusting, really, really, and really sets wrestling back for like, you know, to the the carnival days of like, not, you know, whatever. I like that kind of stuff in some ways. Like I like old school wrestling in some ways, but there's other aspects where like the world has changed and we don't need to continue to glorify that kind of shitty behavior. Um, we got, uh, you know, the uh, AEW commercial that came out. Oh yeah, I gotta give a shout out to uh, to Corwu uh, again for the the news notes this week. Um, AEW commercial that airs during uh, was it during NBA or yeah, or, uh, MLB? One of the you know real sports that was pretty much attacking uh, NXT or, or gloating about you know AEW taking out nxt doing better than them in the ratings all this (laughs) and it happens to be on you know in the week where they lost in the ratings for you know total viewers um i don't know i mean i didn't really care too much about it but uh yeah it was clippers versus blazers game and it was a nxt like nxt themed commercial that supposedly was tnt's idea and not aew's what do you think about that like is that tnt overstepping the bounds Do you think it really matters in the big you know in the long run or, or what do you think
0: I mean, no, I mean, it doesn't matter but I think people are going to get upset about any every, anything AEW does. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like AEW has a lot of, I mean, like, as far as the people involved, the talents involved, it's like, I'll have a lot of pull and what, and what kind of content gets produced and what gets put out there. But, you know, if TNT was feeling confident, it was like thinking this is a great way to promote themselves and keep promoting this thing and keep giving it momentum, then I could, I could see them step, stepping in there and just thinking it was like a cute, fun thing to do but with anything AEW does i feel like people are going to get upset at least for something doesn't i don't really know you know you don't really know what it's going to be but i feel like it's always going to be something with AEW
1: yeah no exactly people are always going to you know pick and i don't know if you saw this week's episode that's not we're not here really to review it this week but you know there's issues obviously we can get into some of that stuff later on
0: um, I, I did i did i did see it i saw it, um so, uh, th- the one that I saw getting the most, like, I guess, like, real unnecessary negative reaction is, why is Jungle Boy getting a match with Chris Jericho? And it's yeah. the stupidest fucking thing that I've ever seen. Yeah, that's it's one a, of the... It's a, it's a trope that WWE has used. The heel, like, the heel, the heel champion being being cowardly and saying, well, you know, I'm obligated to have a match, so... He's gonna find he's gonna find like the quote unquote weakest person to point out on the roster so he can have a match with them, and they're actually gonna go out there and he's gonna have a and the guy that he wrestles gonna have a lot of hope spots, near falls, and he's gonna come across better because of it. That's a trope WWE uses. So how come when AEW uses it and sets it up that I see all these tweets about oh how does this make sense? Jungle Boy has no wins. How come he's getting a match with Jericho? Because it's a a non-title match, and Jericho's a fucking heel who wants to pick on the guy with no wins.
1: Right. And Jericho did this same angle with Triple H. You know, he wasn't someone who had never won anything, but it was the same concept when they did this. Yeah,
0: Jericho did this himself. Jericho. Like the fucking false title switch. (laughs) Yep.
1: Yeah. Which was, I remember being a super hot angle that worked really well, and I think that Jericho could pull it off in the, you know, as the as the the champion, the heel champion. It'll be great. And Jungle Boy is obviously a big-time prospect for them. So to say, like, oh, you know, he he hasn't won any matches. It's like, yeah, that's part of the fucking story of the character. This works. This is because I think everyone believes in him. So he's the guy that can, on paper, looks like, of course, Jericho's going to beat him. He's small. He hasn't had any wins. Jericho shouldn't be, you know, having a match with this guy. He doesn't deserve it. All the things that, you know, everyone can say. But everyone believes in Jungle Boy. And everyone thinks, like, you know what? Maybe he hasn't had a win, but he could pull this off. So that's why it works. Like, I don't know. That's probably one of the stupidest things for anyone to pick on because there's real problems in this company right now. Like, the you know, three pr- factions that all come across very similar. I s- get the nuances, and I don't think of them as being really similar, but a lot of people do, so that's a problem, obviously. And then you're having, like, stuff that's really mixing back and forth too much with Cody and Brandy Rhodes. I mean, using the Nightmare you know, name for her heel faction, whilst Cody still uses that on his YouTube shows where he's a clear babyface, I feel like is a big issue. You know, there's a lot of bigger fish to fry here than, like, something as dumb as, like, an angle that makes perfect sense in the history of wrestling. Uh, you know, not fitting with what people think because, cause, oh, they said that their, you know, wins and losses are going to matter. And it's like, yeah, they do. Wins and losses do matter, but they're not everything. They're You know, it's not... 100% of every match is decided by the algorithms of wins and losses because that would yeah, be boring. Yeah, but even
0: then, like, in the promo, yes, it's even highlighted in the promo that wins and losses do matter. Why is he picking Jungle Boy? Because Jungle Boy has no wins. Right. Because Jericho's a chicken shit heel. Because Jungle Boy has no has no wins, like it's being highlighted, that's why he picked him. Right. That's not the that easy to, that's not that hard to understand and it's a thing that WWE has done. So when I see this, it just keeps on confusing me, and it keeps on driving home. Obviously, AEW isn't perfect, but with stuff like that, it just lets you know that people are just kind of like, just kind of looking for shit a lot of the time with them.
1: Right? Yeah, and you know, you're saying that, that people are out there looking for shit when it comes to AEW, and it's not even just the fans on Twitter. It looks like we got some other issues. Got your uh, got your buddies out here, Dooley, Trent, and Joe doing their uh, their Baltimore <laughs> accent. But uh, but what we do have is the Baltimore. Or is it? Was it Maryland um, Athletic Commission investigating yeah. AEW because of the lights out unsanctioned match between Moxley and Kenny Omega? What the fuck?
0: Like, what is going on? I don't understand the point of it because if anyone actually watched the match, which I, which I'm not sure anyone in the commission had done, it's like. No, not like they didn't intentionally cut anybody open. I think like they might, they might use the argument of scraping the barbed wire across each other, Yeah, which I admit that, that might be it, but eh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's going to stick either way.
1: It's a a shakedown because the article that I read even said that there was a commission. There was a person from the commission on site. And yeah. there was there, there's, a usually, someone,
0: there, there's yeah. usually someone there, like a, obviously, in a doctor at any wrestling event,
1: right? And the and the the commission, the person for the commission that was there on site didn't didn't start this investigation, didn't bring it to the light to say that there needed to be an investigation or say that like he wanted to shut something down, like because he could have called it and shut down the show if there was something he you know thought was over the line or you know excess fees at the time even, and because that's what this is going to end up being is they're just gonna they're just gonna pick out some kind of fines and just try to make some money off of aew is what it's going to come down to um so yeah this is it's, going, it's, to it's going
0: to turn out. into i mean for them it's going to turn into marketing because then guess what now they got fined for the match that was supposedly so violent and right. couldn't even be sanctioned by the company so you're kind of doing kind of doing aew a favor
1: it's true i mean that's a good point and it's like as wwe continues to then they, they push the barriers a little bit but they're definitely doing no blood and no like you know Ultra violence, And if AEW continues down this path, which they've shown that they're going to, um, it makes, you know, it makes sense uh, for them to have this feather in their cap, too, to say, we're, you know, we're so violent. We're getting fined by, you know, Baltimore or, or Maryland or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're getting fined by these this athletic commission because we're too violent and all this and. And uh, so yeah, um, another AEW note I'll just mention like I I, I talked about it um, at the time when with the little Kenny Omega Janela mini feud going back and forth between a sanctioned match and an unsanctioned match uh, that they did they're doing a similar thing with Moxley and Janela so I just I really think that like people are overlooking how good booking that is having they kind of do the back and forth the sanctioned unsanctioned match between Kenny and Janela and they do the same thing with Moxley while so you continue the Moxley Omega feud like I talked about where you can you get to continue to show the difference between these two guys in the different settings. And so now we build to them in a regular match. So while I say AEW has a lot of problems and things to talk about, there's also some really smart booking going on. Um, And primarily, obviously I think that Moxley, like obviously Cody is, feels like the biggest star there and, and is the guy who's the most over, but I feel like some of his booking has some questionable stuff. Moxley feels like the best booked guy that they have right now, the way that they're building to him. I think it's obvious that eventually he wins the title, and I think that he's the guy that they should go with. He feels like he could be their big money star moving forward.
0: I, I am encouraged by the fact that it seems like Chris, Chris Statlander is probably sticking around in AEW.
1: which is great. Yeah,
0: yeah, which, which is yeah. yeah. Like we, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think me and you got the rep for being like the he's just anti Chris Statlander podcast yes. when we when we first started, but we both like Chris Statlander. I think I think yeah. that got lost in a lot of the. Stuff that we were saying about her but for AEW in the position they're in right now, and you know the reality of NXT snatching up uh, snatching up any talent that's 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 possibly coming their way, Chris Statlander, even if she had a WWE deal in place that is no longer there, it's it's a great get if they if they, if, if if AEW can land her. And one more thing, I'm not sure what you were going to lead lead into after this, but one more thing that you know, speaking of a talent that. You know, we're not sure where they're going to land Marty Scurll, Marty Scurll did a contract ex- did a little contract extension to be able to work the last couple of dates of the year for Ring of Honor Final Battle and Final Battle Fallout where he's in a couple of tag matches at the end of the year um, obviously ROH is down in the dumps right now there really isn't any incentive to work for ROH unless it's a big money contract and just not having to work too hard so, looking at where things are right now, obviously being in the middle of a "quote unquote" wrestling war between AEW and NXT, ROH not really being anything, but they have money to offer. What do you think next is for Marty Scurll, a guy that people I think people forget how big of a star and how over this guy is, and that anywhere he go, like if he went to AEW or NXT, he is a difference maker. So, what right. do you think is what do you what do, where do you think Marty is going to be heading?
1: Yeah, I mean. I didn't even, I hadn't seen that he was doing the, uh, the TV tapings the next day. Um, the last I had seen was that he was on Final Battle and then not on the TV tapings, but he is now also on the TV tapings. So that says something to that negotiation there, I think, as it's continuing to, to deepen at least somewhat. And, and I'll give some credit because I did listen to, uh, to Brian Alvarez uh, kind of going over this stuff. I think it was on the, I listened to it because it was the uh, filthy Tom Lawler episode podcast i i like tom Lawler, honestly um especially on podcasts i think he's interesting interesting guy um entertaining i guess is a better word but uh alvarez talking about the roh situation does make a lot of sense <clears throat> for someone because you can make good money the, the the top stars in roh make pretty good money six-figure range and have very limited dates so if you're getting that kind of deal it's not necessarily terrible i mean for us from the outside looking in the the, the the place looks like a fucking clown show and it is really, but for a worker, if you're working maybe three or four weekends, you know, a month and that's about it. And then you're making, you know, um, you know, six figure salary for the year. That's not bad. You got a lot of free time to do whatever the fuck you want. You're making good money. You don't really need to worry about anything. Um, so, you know, Marty's a guy who's going to be in that range, making that kind of money. So, it's not it all, a bad de- situation it, for him
0: you know it all depends on what marty wants obviously right. if marty's perfect is marty if marty is fine sort of like if you know for back of the other term letting his career sort of fizzle like fizzle out and just making his money and being the top guy in a promotion that nobody cares about then it's great for him but i think anyone that's paid attention to wrestling the last few years knows that if marty showed up in aew And you look at you look at the main event scene right now, and you can say that it's kind of crowded. You see Cody, Jericho, Moxley, Omega, Pac, all these guys. Moxley's right. I mean, Marty is right there. If Marty comes in, he's immediately in that in that sort of mix. People would be like, "Well, how is he any higher in the pecking order than Hangman Page?" He was always a bigger star than Hangman Page. Of course. Even even in Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor tried real hard with Hangman Page at some points, but Marty was always more over than Hangman Page. Marty was more over, more over in Japan to hangman. Yeah, and I was
1: going to say, was, even in New Japan where they don't push juniors and they kind of presented Paige as like a low car, a lower heavyweight, like, Marty was a bigger star than him.
0: So, yeah. th- that's where I think... And it, due to that point about, about Ring of Honor, I'm not sure about the contracts that AEW is giving out for their talent. But I will say that if for making, like, schedule a point of reference for why ROH might be suitable... AEW only runs four four times a month too, right? Only runs yeah. four times a month, and you know that has that has that has backing from a company, and it's not the bottomless pockets that like that Sinclair might have, but our AEW does have the money and does have have just have just as easy of a, of a schedule,
1: right? And you know, and that was kind of the breakdown, and I'll, and I'll say like Alvarez, kind of that because of him explaining that it, and he was saying that that's his reason why ROH is like, I think he had ROH as a strong number two. Likelihood or even number three, for for Marty being like uh, AEW number one, ROH number two, WWE number three as the likelihood of everything and I,
0: I I can't I can't see WWE
1: I but that was my pivot is that like I get the ROH talk I understand everyone assuming it's got to be AEW but it feels like over the past few months since AEWs existed Marty's really distanced himself from the talk of being an AEW guy and. One thing I've all I always said about Marty is that he's a he wrestles his matches everything he did like he was putting together those Wrestlemania moments. He's a WWE style worker and I think that the reason why that shows is not because he was just, you know, trying to to do that because, you know, that's the big companies just trying to have good wrestling. I think he's a guy who I think at the end of the day like some people, like, you know, Kevin Steen, like CM Punk, I think he's a mark for WWE. And Rico- I think that Ricochet. for him, yeah, Ricochet, um, you know, a lot of guys who had other offers, better offers to go other places, but chose the WWE because to them, I think in the, at the end of the day, if their career never has the big WWE moment, and they're never a big WWE superstar. Then they'll kind of think of their career as a failure. You have guys like Walter, who's in WWE now, so that's funny. Zack Saber Jr., maybe David Starr. We'll see who Abushi, Abushi, co- who come across like they don't—they could give a fuck less about ever being there. They don't care about it, you know, whatever. But there's certain guys who they do, and I think Marty is one of those guys. And I think, like I said, this is just based on how, what I've how I've seen him wrestle. And the way that he presents himself, he comes across like a guy who spent his entire career trying to be a WWE superstar, even outside of WWE. And I do think that he'll probably feel at the end of the day, if he doesn't have a big run there, that he'll never have really made it as a big time star. And I think that that's really important to him. So So I think that if he doesn't sign there now, he'll sign there soon.
0: All right. So my counter to that would be, Depending on what, how, WWE is snatching up anybody at this point, and they're giving out deals because they just they would greatly prefer that you don't go to AEW. That's what that's what it is at this point. But you look at NXT and the two-hour block and it being on USA, and clearly so a lot of people being set up as NXT lifers at this point, and where you're gonna see like maybe some crossover between the brands, but you're not going to see people just like move up and move up anymore. But you go from Killian Dane and Pete Dunne, the Forgotten Sons, Matt Riddle, Ono, Kushida, Trevor Lee, Jack, Keith Lee, Ciampa, the Undisputed Era. And that's all people from Justice, from Justice Weeks NXT. And you go on and, you know, Finn Balor, Johnny Gargano, and other people waiting in the wings like Isaiah Scott. Who knows where who knows if they have anything planned for Jonah Rock or I think Bronson Reed is his name now. Shane Shane Thorne, Damian Priest, Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, Candice LeRae, Be- um, Bianca Belair, Io Shirai. All these people. And it's such a bloated roster right now that if I'm Marty and I have any kind of self-awareness, how do I see myself making it through that muck? And that's and I think that's what I'm hoping doesn't get lost here is that if Marty does hap does happen to be like this big like WWE mark as you're making it as it as it seems like to you, then I would, I would I would just hope like he can put that to the side and realize well look maybe my ultimate goal is to be in WWE one day, but right now if I go and I probably get sent to NXT, there is a million other people right there who are going to be just as over as I am. that are are trying to do the same thing and they have to write for them and give them title shots and all that same shit too. So do you swallow your pride and say, you know what, maybe right now isn't the best time for me because it's so bloated down there and then then you go ahead and be one of the guys in AEW because I do think after a few months, Marty would just be another guy in NXT. Right.
1: And I, I, I agree with you. I think that there is some sense of delusion that comes with the people who do this where they think like well I'm good enough that I'm going to make it through and, and stand out because of how, how great I am or whatever so it's hard to... Rico- you know, Ricochet,
0: is, Ricochet is totally a case of this like yeah. you can argue that Kevin that Kevin Owens is like broke through and we've talked about his career we talked about his career and his career is like really weird as far as his WWE trajectory and how they clearly like him but they haven't gone on the way with him like yes being the universal champion but then he also gets squashed by Goldberg And all that, so he has a weird career. Ricochet, like they just sort of they just sort of put him in in gold dust gear, essentially. And he had a few, and he had feuds with AJ Styles and Cesaro. But Ricochet, who we thought you know coming off of his indie run, where Ricochet was one of the very best wrestlers in the world, Ricochet is going to be going down as afterthought.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. It, it, It. It's not looking great for him. Owens is an interesting case too, because even now it feels like he's being positioned at, as like the number two or number three babyface on Raw right now. Maybe even number one he, with Seth. He's now number turning.
0: one. I'm. And I'm. I've been trying. I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> like, I'm just so fascinated by like main roster WWE at this point because it's so historically bad. But they've com- they've completely killed Roman Reigns. Daniel Bryan is. <laughs> they've turned him. They turned him face-ish but you know he's clearly not as hot as he was before but you know he's still able to get a molten hot crowd for a for a bray wyatt match so clearly there's still something there seth rollins turn because he's a fucking failure becky lynch crowds are not reacting to becky lynch like that anymore um yeah it's it's kevin Owens is a top face in the company
1: <laughs> yeah he might be the top face on raw he probably is um or at least the male face right um and maybe the top face in the company, really, depending on how you look at it. Um, So he is an interesting one. To, to, but that, I mean, that was not the point of this diatribe, really, was it? But, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> but I do think that, I do think that my, okay, this was the point that I wanted to get to at some point here before we move on, maybe, was that I do think that, unfortunately, it's weird timing. That's why I think that there's a chance that Marty does a status, kind of stays the same, stays in stasis, and maybe signs a one, two-year ROH deal right now because it's kind of poor timing for him in that I think that the real deciding factor is going to be what WrestleMania looks like this year because NXT is a third brand. It was presented really strong at Survivor Series, but if WrestleMania time comes and NXT is an afterthought and not treated like an actual... Pure third brand who gets representation on on WrestleMania, then I think yeah, what you're saying is true that he'll feel like there's no point. I'll never be able to do anything. But I think that if you see NXT be a focused co-equal part of the show, then I think that Marty and a lot of other people start to say this NXT lifer route is not necessarily a bad thing because you really are going to get treated as at the same level of star as people on any of the either on any of the other shows and you truly are a main roster wwe superstar so i do think that there's a possibility that marty holds out with roh for another year at you know minimum gets the gets the the like i said the easy money and then comes back to it next year and then really sees what the landscape looks like and goes WWE AEW really probably the smart choice right now because everything is so up in the air and ROH is, is a stable waiting ground for him to know I'm going to make this money. And then in a year, because if you sign a big multi-year contract with one of the other two companies and then, like you said, find out that you're just in the NXT, you know, treadmill, and you don't really matter. Or you sign with AEW, and then a- the wheels fall off, and AEW turns into a shit show because it's, they're still not really established. Then where are you? You've signed a contract with a company that's just falling off, and then you become, you know, part of the the, the kind of failed promotion. You could be treated like an ace, but you're a failed ace that killed a promotion. Like you don't want that kind of on your legacy. So, I think honestly, it's a really weird time for him because he doesn't feel like he's a guy who's all in you know for the pun um in the aew thing but also wwe is in a weird spot right now too so it's like what do you what do you want to do so i could definitely see him sticking with roh for a year to feel it out or go just going to wwe right now but in all likelihood the most likely thing is just aew right like that's what makes the most sense
0: yeah, and apparently on being the elite and stuff that I haven't, which I haven't watched in months, but it seems like they have been teasing towards Marty possibly jumping ship. And people a lot of the time dismiss being the elite stuff as being just a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and not meaning anything. But I think you were watching at the time. But you know when Marty when Marty Skrull like eventually joined Bullet Club, it was because you yeah. could see that coming from a mile away because he was on the oh he was on the TV every um every week every week with them he wouldn't just be in the show if there was no intention of him being the guy that was joining so i do think that while people kind of just dismiss it because they think those guys are trolls which sometimes they are but i think they're trolls way less often than people realize yeah i don't i don't think they just they'd be doing it just for shits and giggles just to disappoint their fans when marty doesn't eventually come over
1: no yeah that, that's the thing is that people hand wave being the elite a lot and i get it because it's goofy and it's silly but being the elite rarely has anything that they don't actually pay off
0: yeah like, they, it, like that's it, that's yeah. just that's not their thing they don't just no. sit there and like play with people's emotions and troll them they yeah. <laughs> if marty Skrull was on being the elite for every week up until the adam cole turn like yes he would he was gonna be the guy that joined bullet club
1: Right. Yeah. The only I would say the only thing that like was a big like never paid off thing. And it actually in some ways you could kind of say that it did, but just not the way that people were hoping was all the New Day stuff, you know, like. Right. Because they never had a match, but that's contract stuff. But you could also say that was fans watching it and hoping for something because in a way it did pay off because eventually you had Kenny Omega versus Xavier Woods in that street fight competition. So they did pay it off in video games. So like to say like oh they, they were doing all this and they were never going to pay it off it's like sure but also they never really said we're going to have a wrestling match they were just kind of like feuding online and then they paid it off with video games because they're both video game nerds so it, it, was, the two, it was
0: it was the it was the two ho- it was the two hottest trios acts in in wrestling yeah. and everyone with anyone with the, with common sense realized like no this match can't happen because of like contractual reasons this match literally cannot yeah. happen so yeah, what's the best next thing? Those guys are just all together playing a video playing a video game at a at a, um, a Comic Con or whatever the fuck. Yeah,
1: yeah, having the yeah, the, the the Street Fighter Comic Con whatever thing that they did. So yeah, like you know, I think that people people work themselves into a shoot on that one, which we all know what happens when jab- Jabroni marks do that. Um, Quentin, anything else you want to hit before we move on to the main event this week?
0: Uh, no, I think maybe just to wrap up the Marty thing. So. I think for my likelihood, I'm gonna go AEW number one for most likely, ROH number two, and then I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a curveball in there. I'm gonna go New Japan number three. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where you where you landed.
1: Yeah, I uh, honestly, I think I'll I'll take the wild bet and go with my heart on this one and say number one most likely right now roh but like i said caveat like a one-year contract something short no second most likely is gonna be wwe i think that there's a chance that he just does it and third most likely for me aew like that's my power rankings for for where marty ends up i honestly think the new japan stuff makes sense especially with new japan usa he feels like a guy that would be perfect for them for that but I just think uh, you know, and he's got his buddy Zach is in New Japan, so there is the there is that side of things too. Um, got a, a leaders reunion in in New Japan would be great for their tag division, honestly. The,
0: that, and that's the, that's the thing too is like when you kind of look at it, the elite not being there, and say if Marty does come back, Marty does need somewhere to be. And if you look, I don't think he would just go back to joining Bullet Club. And I do think that. Suzuki Goon could use a, could use another credible person.
1: Yeah, and if Suzuki Goon kind of turns into maybe a Gaijin fact like more Gaijin heavy faction with Lance Archer, then you've got like I said, like the leaders of the new school.
0: And- yeah, because you have remember that Dave, you gotta, you gotta remember that Davey's gone. Yeah. So there's only two Gaijin that are in the in the in the unit right now. So uh, Zach. Archer and Skrull being the uh, three foreigners in, in the unit, it's pretty strong.
1: Yeah, and then, like you said, because Killer Elite is gone, you you can have a heavyweight tag team of the leaders of the new school, basically, being the heavyweight tag team of the unit. Um, and both guys can be credible in singles as well, but I think that they could get a pretty good push and have an interesting style that no other tag teams have. You know, They don't have any other tag teams that are like that in the heavyweight division at all.
0: See, the night that we did this and now I think we have to await the ultimate sin, which is we we speak this into existence right. and they just turned into them wrestling Sonata and evil. Oh,
1: that's that is yeah, not so,
0: fun. Yeah, real real monkey's paw here. <laughs> yeah,
1: Ugh, I'm not looking forward to that. No, um, <laughs> do you think that the Japanese crowd will be able to sing that arm bars and chicken wings, arm bars <laughs> and chicken wings? That would be oh, oh, fun.
0: I would love to see Marty try to get that over. I yeah. will I really would love to see that. I think
1: he could pull it off. He's he's a pretty popular guy. Um, but we did just spend that time talking about the land of the rising sun. That's Japan, right? That's what they call it. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I I don't know why I was thinking it was China because China has the sun flag too. No, they don't. Um, no, they do not. What are you doing to me? No,
0: that's the uh, thing. That's the red one with the stars, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's the red and the stars. Um. But uh, but we are gonna go to Japan a little bit more for our focus this week. Um, I try to think so, about what. Oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, i meant to ask. So, I really we really went way longer than I think we meant to. Well, yeah. on, on like on new stuff. So, I'm thinking, do you just want to do like little like quick hit thoughts on the first yes. on the first few nights? Because yeah, I mean, that, I only that, wa-
1: I've only watched three nights so far. I haven't okay, talked okay the fourth night yet. Have you? Because there's only been four nights so far, right?
0: Uh, yeah, th- yeah, I think four, yeah, five might have happened this morning, but I, th- I think okay. I think it's four.
1: Okay, and and the third night only had like three. Oh, I mean, we're talking about the D King, just so everyone knows. Um, D O Grand Prix, Grand Prix, I guess, um, as people would call it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been four nights in DDT. Oh, I didn't realize, oh, yeah, yeah, four. Okay, the third night only had like three D King matches. Uh, which I was gonna ask you if you know why that was, because um, the other nights had six, and for some reason that one only had three. Maybe they were doing the two opening nights, and then now they're splitting up the blocks. But that doesn't make sense. Either yeah, way,
0: because like, like that's never really been a thing. And the time that D King's been going on, yeah, they've never re- they've never done it as to where a non D King match is the main event of the of the show. I know. It was yeah, weird. that's so that, that that's it, weird. Okay, yeah, I mean, I weird. didn't know that.
1: And there was a the gauntlet on the third night that like it had a bunch of people that are in the D King, or at least a couple people that are in the D King. Um, the
0: fourth night, the fourth night only has four matches too.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. It's it's going kind of weird. It's not like you know TNA Bound for Glory series weird yet, uh, but we'll get there uh, because it's DDT. So of course we'll get there. Um, I mean, we could do overall thoughts. That's how everyone does it, and I've always said I don't really like doing the overall thoughts before thing. People seem to like to do that when they talk about stuff.
0: Um, well, not well, not mean like we can do. But do you like so it? Fa- uh, no, what, go ahead. What, as far as what the tournament so far, or no. Or just when people like, do
1: podcasts and they do like before we get started reviewing, let's do overall thoughts. Do you think that that's good? I always am kind of like, why do people even do that?
0: No, I feel I like always feel. I mean, it depends. Like a show where like a, like a singular show, I can maybe do overall thoughts first, but like a tournament and you're going to jump into like reviewing like five nights of a tournament and you want to give your overall thoughts first. I was like, yeah. no, nah, well, you probably should wait on that.
1: Yeah. It's like, if you're going to do that, then just do overall thoughts. Don't even review the, the, the matches at that point because it's like, yeah. Yeah. Cause now you're talking about everything. Um, so yeah, we'll just jump through the first, I mean, I, did I interrupt you? You were saying something. I don't think so. No, you're good.
0: No, you're good. I think, but I think, I think, me and you decided that we were just gonna do quick hit thoughts on this one. Okay. We were, yeah. There wasn't too much that. All right. Because I, I, I think for us, it hasn't been as good as the previous D-Kings so far, as the, as the for previous D-Kings we have had so far.
1: Yes and no. It's been good, and I've enjoyed it. And there's been some stuff that was better than I expected, but I would say overall probably not as good quality yeah. wise in some ways, but also like interesting which is which is good because i like something different you know and and, mm. and that's part of why i've always liked King is that it's like it stands out in the sea of everything else that happens in ddt is like it's this really serious round robin tournament um that doesn't doesn't feel like you know it fits really but it does i don't know it's like i don't know it's like mini sodes or something it's like it's like back when they used to do that, like they would do web series versions of shows. Like, I don't know this is a weird diatribe, but the office did this like early on before the internet was really popular. It'd be like the office TV show, but then there was also like office web minisodes, And sometimes right. the D King kind of feels like web minisodes of DDT. Cause it's like weird, like, like, Oh, you know, it's just like these like little shows where the same characters are interacting, but it's like a different universe kind of. Um, so yeah, so I enjoy it for that. Um, Let's go through the nights. This is what I think we'll do. We'll go through the nights. If you have anything that you really want to talk about on each night, we'll hit it, and then we'll do big thoughts at the end. Does that make sense? Alright, cool. Let's do it. Okay. So, night one um, has six matches, six D-King matches. Um, I would say the standout stuff was the first D-King match with Ishii versus Uno. Um that match was really great quick brawly whatever everything was pretty quick um i thought that hashimoto and chris brooks was really good which is what you would expect um chris brooks is really good in in uh you know intergender settings and hashimoto is good overall so i really enjoyed that and it was a good way to kind of set the tone for what she's going to be doing in the tournament the 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 two top matches were actually really good. Uh, Masato Tanaka looks great. Sama Takao sold really well for him, um, and then Hiroshima and, and Sakaguchi was good. What did like? Kind of what was your takeaway from night one?
0: Really, really enjoyed Ueno versus Ishii. I thought that was great. That was probably my that was probably my favorite match of the night. Takashita versus Eno. I liked how Takashita was selling and being really vulnerable for the guy in it, for the guy in his unit. I think for this year maybe more year and a half for Takashita. He's been the more dominant force in a lot of it in a lot of his matches. And post the Harashima match, it seems like Takashida's taking a step back and being more vulnerable and selling for guys more. So I liked how strong he was making Eno look in that. You said it you said it first Hashimoto versus Brooks was great. Uh, I think I'm a little bit lower on Tanaka versus uh versus Soma Takao. Soma is so hit or miss and he's really only good when he gets bullied into throwing good strikes which which did happen here he got bullied into throwing some really good looking forearms and that was the best thing about that miracle mike bailey versus Soma match from i think the first d king where mike bailey just beats the shit out of him and it turns into a really one of the more underrated matches of d king and harashima versus yukio i don't know maybe we can talk about this but I was I was kind of bo- I was bored by this and honestly I wouldn't be upset if I didn't get any more Harashima versus Yukio Sak- Sakaguchi matches which I didn't think I would ever say because I've always enjoyed the pairing but I think I'm getting to a point now where, where it's just really dry especially in a setting like this where the venue they're at is small it's not a lot not a lot of crowd interaction a lot of it's just like wrestling to complete silence and it just, it just it just didn't do it for me. I'm checking my phone when I was bored. And maybe in a different venue, I would have liked it more. But here, it just felt really dry.
1: Yeah, I can see that. In 2019, I think that Yukio doesn't have as badass aura as he used to. Um, And that's part of it, is that Yukio Sakaguchi used to feel really dangerous. And that would make a lot of his matches stand out. Um, And here, he doesn't really have that. Another part of it, too, is Hiroshima for... All the love that he gets, especially in, and this is the, this is a big one, Quentin. we ma- I made it an hour in without referencing, especially all the love that Hirashima gets currently in the Slack chat. Um, uh, we were so close. <laughs> yeah, we almost did an episode without it. Um, he does, he does the kind of stereotypical ace thing that like Tanahashi does really well, which is like he has to show off that he can compete with everyone in their style. And so he does a lot more matte wrestling and not even just matte wrestling, but MMA style or not even MMA, more like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or like something that's a lot more, um, kind of grappling based, um, but like legit grappling based stuff, um, which he's good at. Don't get me wrong, but it does. I get what you're saying that it, it can be dry and a bit boring. Um, and then because Yukio doesn't have the same hard edge that he used to have, um, I think part of that's his age, part of that's his positioning, and also part of that is like, in 2019, there's guys like Tommy End or you know uh, Alistair Black, who kind of have the same vibe but look even more insane, you know, with the you know demon tattoos and and the crazy hair and every, and the, the spikes and everything. You know, it's like. Yukio is really, in a lot of ways, you could say Yukio was like a proto-Tommy End, uh, Alistair Black kind of guy, and, and now that you have some more people who kind of look that vibe, more that like kind of gothic MMA fighter look, which is like, if you think about it, really weird that it exists, but it's a total thing. Even fucking Josh Barnett kind of falls into that now with his like war beast or whatever he calls it, war master, Warmeister gimmick that he does. It's like, that's like a thing, man, like heavy Especially
0: metal. like... Yukio just kind of loses a lot too, yeah. Which, which doesn't help it. And Yukio did have his one title reign in twenty fifteen, and he's gotten title matches since then. Just this year, he had the title match with Endo that was really good, but he he loses he loses a lot. Which, okay. when it goes when it happens when it he has this sort of look and or that he's going for, it definitely hurts that aura because it's not like he's looking especially strong in defeat either.
1: Right. So yeah. So I can definitely see where you're coming from. It felt like. They're trying to open up the blocks. You know, you've got... Hiroshima has both title belts. You've got a big-time historical matchup that's had some some cool stuff in the past between these guys. They've had good chemistry with each other. Everything was set up where this made perfect sense to book it, but then the bell rings, and it's like this is... It doesn't hold a candle to the former glory of either of these guys, really. Really. And it just feels like you're seeing basically like a slowed down version of of a great or what could have been like the great matchup that could have had that importance. So I can definitely see where you're coming from. Me personally, I enjoy it. I liked. I really liked the like gunslinger kickoff in the middle of the match, and then how that led yeah, into the kickoff.
0: Was, the kickoff was great.
1: Yeah, and that kind of stuff really I think like works for me really good. I think that Yukio again like fantastic striker, obviously, but still he's he just doesn't have that same hard edge that he used to have. So everything he does just doesn't come across as great as it has in the past. Um, and Yukio for a long time was my guy, like my, my favorite DDT wrestler for long periods of time. Uh, I considered him to be, you know, my favorite guy in, in DDT. And at this point, um, he's just slowed down. And there's nothing that you can say about that. Or nothing else um, you can like say to defend him. Night 2, I'll let you start out kind of the, the talk. I, I,
0: I had a question for you. So. Oh, go ahead. So I'm not sure if you remember, um, but uh, Simon had made some. Uh, he had posted a tweet. because be we, we had we were having a discussion in, in the Slack about Tanahashi as a mat wrestler. I think after the <laughs> the, the, the the Kushida match from yes. from this year, where me and him and I think me him and Brock I think agreed that as far as like you know, and there's multiple caveats here as far as pro style Japanese mat workers. Of the last like thirty years, like we said, yeah, Tanahashi probably the best one. And then what? And then some. And then the guy checking it it is saying Oh god, you're saying that Tanahashi is the best Japanese mat worker. <laughs> so I was gonna ask, do you think who do you think is the better mat worker, the better pro style mat worker, Harashima or Tanahashi? Tanahashi. Really? I mean, okay.
1: Yeah, without question, Tanahashi. Honestly,
0: um, I, I was I was putting more Hirashima support there.
1: Really, I mean, I'm
0: not a big. Cause I think cause, cause I think Hirashima's uh Harashima's mat game is a little bit more MMA influenced, and I know that's that's something that you're that you're into. So that's why that's why so that's why I was asking. But Tanahashi's mat game is sort of amateur and pro style influenced, which might be which might be more your sensibility.
1: Yeah. No. Oh. Uh, yeah. I. I. Uh... I definitely see why you would think that for sure, but I think that Tanahashi's more engaging. So when you're talking about like pro style mat wrestling long term or whatever or not long term, but like pro style um mat wrestling in general, um like Tanahashi's is better because he's able to make it work for bigger crowds and make them actually enjoy it.
0: All right, let's go to the second night in Yokohama. Naomi, were, Naomi versus, yeah, Naomi versus Yoshimura versus Yuki Sakaguchi. I thought, I thought that was fun. I liked it. Uh, it was short, sprinty, uh, smoking mirrors. Yoshimura attacking Sakaguchi before the bell, but I, 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 I liked it. Jirohashimoto versus Yuki Ueno. I thought this, I thought this was really fun too. Both of them continuing really strong tournaments, and I think Yuki Ueno is really stepping it up here and showing that he should be a guy that. You know, we were talking about Mao as being like the future of DDT, and I think Ueno, when he, if he keeps up this progress, he's gonna he's gonna be a guy that is that's in that that's in that conversation. Chris Brooks versus Tetsuya Endo, I'm gonna come back to Ishii versus Takashita. Really great, su- super super su- surprising that Ishii got the win there. But it's the early it's the early stage of the of the tournament. Big shockers, big upsets. Usually, what these tournaments go for in early stages, and it's a great match. Takashita in control. Ichi fighting from underneath, and the moment when he wins is really great, and Sasaki versus Tanaka, I wasn't as big a fan as of Tanaka versus Soma as you were, and I thought this was probably a little bit better. Tanaka and Sasaki, they're both, you know, known for using plunder and bullshit in their matches, weapons, all that stuff, and I thought that that made for a really good clash here, Tanaka being the stronger striker, Sasaki having to use shortcuts, and I like that, and I like that bit. Going back to it, Chris Brooks versus Endo. Now Evan, explain to me why it makes sense that Endo versus Brooks went thirty minutes, but still, I, I, it's so weird to me that they chose to do that. I don't. I, I get it. Maybe they. Maybe I haven't been paying attention, so maybe they're super high on Chris Brooks right now. They, they are actually.
1: Want... It seems like they've been high on Chris Brooks since he debuted in DDT.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I know that he got that title match with with Takashi and Kurokin, but. It seems like they must be really high on Chris Brooks. Chris Brooks got to look really great here against Tetsuya Endo, who a lot of us are assuming that Endo winds up winning the tournament. And I I get it if you want both guys to look strong and maybe even revisit this match down the line. But it going 30 was a bit of a shock. And not in a good way because as it's going on, I just keep wishing for it to end. And there was good selling. I thought this. I thought the start was really s- slow uninteresting, and uninteresting. It only really takes a turn when they st- when Brooks introduces the knee work. But yeah, I, it was a match. I like that. I understood the idea, but it just it, it still didn't feel like it, need, it needed to go thirty.
1: Yeah, I I'm with you. I found it to be too long, um, boring. I feel like I get the storyline reason why you have these guys go to a draw, but I. I don't think that they're the right guys to do a thirty-minute draw. Um, honestly, I love
0: Chris Brooks. He, I love Chris Brooks. He's not the guy for this match.
1: Yeah, like in this setting, in just in general, I think, I think you know what Chris Brooks could do—a thirty-minute Ironman match.
0: Yes, you know? could, like he, that, like that, so like that Togo Sasaki Ironman match from a couple of years ago. Yes, like, Chris Brooks could absolutely do something like that—a thirty-minute draw. No, not no. really.
1: Yeah, he's not really the guy. He, A lot of his big stuff is just, you know, stuff that you'd need. The suspense of, like, near falls and storytelling and stuff like that that he does works a lot better um, in something more like that. And this is just – he, I don't know. Like I said, just kind of gets boring. Um, I think that Endo's done a few big draws. He's done hour-long draws, and I still to this – point don't think that he has it in him to be intriguing for long periods of time and and matches in and draw that way honestly um and i like endo i'm not i don't you know love endo like some people do um i think i'm you know firmly in the 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 takashita camp when it comes to you know takashita versus endo kind of fandom um so yeah to me neither one of these guys is great in in a long draw setting chris brooks i think especially but, yeah, like I said, I get the idea of the story. And the weird thing to me is I'm like, I, I watch the match, and I know that Endo Endo has left Damnation, right? And he's on his on his path to being, you know, the top baby face of the company or whatever. But Chris Brooks, I've always wondered why, at this point, he's not in Damnation. He feels like he
0: fits. He's, dude, yeah. you can attest to this. Have I said for years at this point that Chris Brooks and Daisuke Sasaki are like the same person?
1: Right. Yeah, so it just it would make perfect sense for him to be in Damnation. And honestly, that would make the story of why these guys go to a 30-minute draw almost make more sense. Um, you know, with Chris Brooks being the, the guy who kind of replaced Endo in the faction or whatever. Like, I could see that. But even then, I mean, like I said, the, the background story and all the reasons why the match going 30 minutes makes sense didn't pay off. Um, one match that you conspicuously overlooked, and I have to mention it, was uh, Takao versus James because you no, talked you about mention it. <laughs> you talked about how James or Takao is so good in matches where like uh, he gets bullied into you know big strike offs, but James should be the guy to pull that off, especially the way he's being presented as the big monster of the tournament, really. Um, and he's just so fucking fat and lazy. And you know what? It's okay for me to use it because if Joe Biden can call hecklers fat, then I'm allowed to use it. I can use it as a slur as well. Um, he's just so fucking slow and lazy and shitty that, like, one of the best, like, you know, guys for that, for the, you know, firing up underneath the cellar kind of underdog babyface character doesn't get, he can't get anything off of it. Like, it just, it sucks. Bull James sucks. So much a cow didn't bring it to come back but he didn't have someone to work off of to make it, you know, better. Um so yeah, going into this night, I was like kind of toss up kind of uh, between who was the MVPs of the tournament for me so far after night 1, um between Hashimoto and Ueno and then they face each other here and have a great match, so it doesn't really again answer the question of who's the kind of MVP of the tournament for me in into night 2. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that match. I thought that they kicked ass together and, and you know like you talked about being maybe the guy, the next guy, uh, instead of Mao. It's interesting because in this match was really the first time that it kind of hit me where I'm like, you looks like a and he could kind of be a new Ibushi for DDT in a lot of ways. He doesn't have, yeah. You
0: know, we said that for Mao too, which is like, right, thing, which is the thing here.
1: I know. So it feels like they're just continuing to try to replace a So we'll see um ishii takashita was was really good but i hate to say it a little disappointing honestly um just because i expect a lot from both of those guys um and and it just kind of didn't deliver and and ishii's been so great but i don't know why there's just something here where it, uh, he felt a little bit outclassed and that's kind of a thing that i think um is endearing about ishii at times in ddt but also i think in this setting it really didn't uh, it didn't work Um, I think I'm probably with you that, that the Tanaka versus Sasaki was better than Tanaka versus Takao. Um, I think that you think that I like the Tanaka Takao way more than I did just from you kind of mentioning that it was a good match. I, I I didn't think it was like great. I enjoyed it, but yeah, I thought that.
0: Well, well, Tim, you have to to remember, I think someone, Takao is a bad wrestler. So so when you, so when you say this, it's like, it registers to me and I'm like, definitely like, oh shit, like. If so much a cow match wasn't bad it now sounds like Tim is saying that so much a cow is good
1: <laughs> yeah I mean to be fair I don't really like so much a cow either so you know whatever but but yeah like uh you know I thought that Sasaki obviously much better um against tanaka Sasaki is much better in general I like you know I like uh, Sasaki quite a bit as well um unfortunately night three Sasaki he definitely did a good job with his character he didn't. Oh, get yeah. to like really night, have three a great is almost
0: <laughs> night three is almost not even like almost worth not even mentioning. Like right, only thing that ha- only thing that happens is like it's Eno versus Endo, but I didn't think that was great. But I think like, the, the notable thing there is that Eno beats Endo, but right. I didn't I didn't think that was a particularly good match either. Which I kind of I'm, I'm disappointed in that because just from the clash of size and you know Eno having being having the strength advantage and. Endo being the well the most athletic guy in the company, you would think that that would produce a good clash, and it just didn't live up to what I thought it might.
1: Yeah, it didn't look great. You know, I just you know mentioned people looking outclassed. Eno looked, I don't know, he just looked out of it. He looked like he couldn't, he couldn't hold up his end of the bargain to really, like you said, deliver something that would be like it should have been like an epic like battle from a big muscled up base and a super athletic. Uh, you know kind of flying guy and really didn't get it um didn't really get anything spectacular you know at all you know i think is a guy who could you know because obviously endo is gonna probably end up winning and so that means that he you know the way that you do these round robin tournaments is the winner goes on a little bit of a losing streak to start out um so Eno's a great guy to be part of that losing streak for endo honestly um because just like the size and everything and it's believable that he would get the win but it, coming out of it, it doesn't feel like he gets much from the win um you know it doesn't feel like you build much steam on him because he didn't look super impressive here um you know give it shout out to him winning with uh with basically the uh the the failed ace uh spear from ben k basically he does the ben k style run the ropes a ton of times before the spear um and then uh you know it's over there. Uh, Tanaka versus Bull James was obviously dog shit. um, But what do you expect? But, yeah, there was, like, huge... I felt like there was, like, big spaces, at least the file that I watched because I didn't watch it live. There was, like, big spaces in between matches where they were just showing, like, graphics. Um, Like you mentioned, there's only three D-King matches. There's a bunch of other weird stuff. I mean, we probably could look up on Dramatic DDT on what the fuck was going on here this night. But this seemed like just a really weird night overall where, like something was up like something has was had to have been wrong backstage or somewhere because it just felt like uh it just felt like the sh- the tournament has really gone off the rails in the, on this show and then night four you're saying that there's like not uh full six block matches so there's
0: four there's four matches and they're all um i guess i guess pretty interesting there's Eno versus chris brooks there's ueno versus endo Tanaka versus Sakaguchi and Sasaki versus Arashima. And yeah. admittedly, I haven't gotten to this night yet, so I'm, pro- I'm probably going to throw that on either tonight or tomorrow. But that that one definitely looks a little bit better structured than whatever happened on night three.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the fuck happened on night three. We can look it up. People can message us about it and explain it to us if they want, I guess. I mean, it feels like something people do. It's, it's really nice. Um, you could message us questions or things that you want us to talk about always, and that would be a little bit nicer than just sending corrections. But thank you. We appreciate corrections as well. Um, either way, yeah, the night three was weird. Night four does look good. Um, the matches on paper, there's a lot of them there that I enjoy. Um, I'd say especially Tanaka Sakaguchi. I think that could be fun. Um, maybe re-ignite, reignite some of that spark in Sakaguchi. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, either way, that's it for me, I guess. Overall thoughts, maybe who do you, who's standing out to you, Kind of, I think we're both on the same page that Indo probably wins, even though it's not like a novel thing because most people assume that that's what's happening. Um, yeah, what do you th- what do you think overall?
0: Um, UNO, I think has really show- been showing that he belongs and that he's ready. And I think that Eno, who obviously is newer to wrestling, is still taking some time. People people forget with Ueno that he's like he's in the same class as Takashita. I think. Um is only like 23, 24 still. And Yuano, is still young, but they were in the same class. So how like how Yuano feels like a young guy, like a new guy. He's not really because he's been around in the system as long as Takashi has been, but still I think he I think he's been proving that he belongs. Chris Brooks, I think he can tell a fit in DDT really well. Shihiro Hashimoto has been killing it. And you know, Eno, while he's been a really fun guy in the in the all-out tag matches and trios matches i think now he's getting he's getting exposed a little bit which i'm not going to kill him for he's still he's still a new guy
1: yeah that's i mean that's pretty fair um i think that the show the the tournament suffers somewhat in that the only outsiders feel like um bull james and Tanaka and even Tanaka it feels like he's in DDT enough that he's not really like an outsider he feels like a special but it feels like the tournament would be nice if it had some some flair with some people who feel special um I don't know if it was last year or the year before but they had uh Ikaman um in the tournament uh, and and he uh he kind of and you know like Joey Ryan, who was at the time probably considered probably in the same level of like regular as uh as Brooks right now, but Brooks feels like he really fits in so much that he doesn't feel like an outsider at all.
0: Getting getting Go Shiozaki last year was a good one.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I feel like it would have been nice if they had someone in here who really felt like they stood out as an outsider because there's really nobody, um, like except for Bull James and he's just stinking up the joint. So it's just kind of like they don't have any. Cool outsiders. That's like the biggest. That'd be my biggest issue, um, you know. And like that's. I guess that just kind of happens over time. Like if you look at the G one, the G one used to have cool outsiders from time to time, and now it feels like they really don't as much as they used to. Um, so yeah, there's just kind of like that. That feels like that's kind of a little bit boring. Um, just in that sense, you don't have anyone who who stands out as like special. But otherwise, I, oh, I guess Hashimoto is like an outsider. Um, and she's doing really well, so or at least to me. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks she's looking great in here. But so yeah, I guess you got Hashimoto, but she wasn't on like the last, or she wasn't on the the last night. Maybe she and and she's not on the fourth night. So I don't know what the deal is, um, exactly with her. I don't know if she's out. I don't know. Either way, um, yeah. So so far, weak. But they could bring it back. That's the thing about DDT is that like DDT can always save it cuz they have so many quality wrestlers uh yeah. that they can always deliver. You know, it can it can come and it can sneak up on you. So, we'll see. I think that no Mike Bailey is a bummer. I think that Mike Bailey is such a workhorse in tournament settings and just in general that uh he's a guy who can deliver at least something hot and exciting every night if not like a great match. So, not having him in, him in here is kind of a also kind of a brings down the overall quality of the tournament as well.
0: It does seem like that Mike Bailey is coming back in January to DDT. I'm not sure if that's a sign for maybe he'll be back to being a regular in 2020 going forward. But it is kind of it is hopeful that he's coming back. You know, I think it's a match with Hirashima something something along those lines. But I'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we get more Mike Bailey.
1: Yeah, definitely, especially in, in DDT. Yeah, I mean, obviously he he's just he's such a workhorse, man. He just delivers so strong all the time. That like not having him in this tournament after he's been in it for the past like two years, it's like it, it really feels like a letdown because a lot of times at this point in the tournament he'll have had like three or four great matches, you know.
0: Well, yeah, that first D King was just an unbelievable run. I think that was that was a start of us going like, Hold on, is is Mike Bailey really the best wrestler in the world? Because he's kind of going out there every single time whereas Akito, Soma, um endo uh, sasaki and just having great match every single time out to the point where you're just like okay hold on man like how yeah. is he just gonna keep like how's he gonna keep doing this
1: yeah i mean in some ways you could compare that run to like what people talk about the the osprey run the 2019 osprey where it's like just so impressive the way that he continues and it's like if mike bailey had kept that up the whole year i think unfortunately no one would have talked about him in the same conversation but like he easily would have been in that same conversation, you know what I mean? Of being like a... it's
0: crazy to me that people are really like this Osprey year is the highest volume, highest quality year a wrestler has ever had. And I'm like, so we're just gonna like this, just reeks to me of not really appreciating the Chris Hero and Zach Sabre Jr. years in 2016 to 2017. And that it feels like only the only volume that matters is if you're in New Japan having volume. Which like I get it, I'm not I'm not the person that's going to sit here and discredit Osprey's case. Osprey has had a ridiculous year and has absolutely been the workhorse for New Japan, doing New Japan Cup, G1, uh, Best of the Super Juniors, Super Junior Tag League, Super J Cup, everything. Wrestle Kingdom being the never being, being the never champion, being the junior champion, doing tag stuff. He's done literally everything for them in, tw- in, tw- in 2019. So I'm not the guy that's going to discredit the case, but it just it's just real, real strange to me to sit there and now, as Zach Sabre, I mean, you, Will Osprey has this case of high volume and high quality when Chris Hero when Zack Sabre Jr. in 2016, 2017 had years that were just as insane.
1: Yeah, I think that a part of it too is it just stands out so much because it's like a lot in New Japan, which a lot yeah, of people Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, I,
0: yeah. I think it's a platform. I think a lot of people are just... Looking at it from the standpoint of, of that is happening in New Japan, whereas like me and you are gonna, are, we appreciate Zack Sabre Jr. 2017 because he did it literally everywhere. People will point to Will Ospreay's year and be like, well, look, he had a great, he had a great match in Progress, he had a great match in Triple W, he had a great match in Fight Club Pro, where we had a, yeah, but there's not, a, there's not a lot to really point to there. Zack Sabre Jr. It was Evolve, PWG, in- pro Progress, Rev Pro going to mexico going to chile going to chile going to japan doing doing it everywhere and i don't know it's just real strange to me that because it's happening in new japan now that's when high quality or high volume output is now suddenly what people want
1: yeah and like i said it's not or like i was saying it's not even just that it's in new japan because of like the profile but because like nobody else gets to have that many good Nobody gets to have that many singles matches in New Japan.
0: Yeah, yeah, it stands out. It stands out.
1: So it stands out in both ways, because it's like they get a lot of people pay attention to New Japan, and they don't usually let guys have this many high-profile singles matches, but because he's in so many tournaments and having so many big singles matches, it stands out as well. Um, Quentin, I think we're we're done. We're just about hitting exactly what I thought. I, I predicted we'd be about an hour and a half, and we're just about an hour and a half, so kudos right. to us on Perfect. that um i don't know if you have any <laughs> i was gonna say if you have any plugs but this is our podcast what the fuck are you gonna plug <laughs>
0: um yeah, yeah um i will let it out psychology is dead i'll probably try to have like it's gonna be coming back soon anyway for year and stuff but i'm gonna try to have out the one that i had planned before for uh, a last week or two weeks ago i'm gonna try to do that and have that out so don't take that from my don't have that don't take that as word for me, don't take that as a promise. I'm just gonna try to get that out before before the year and stuff happens. So just look out for that. And don't be surprised if there's another week where there isn't a, po- um, a podcast like this, where it might just be replaced by psychology is dead, or Tim might find someone else to fill in for me. But just a heads up there and obviously go in, go ahead and follow the Twitter at QNTR. And that's it for me.